Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're in a series taking an in-depth look at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, we saw that there is uh, two stages to receiving the Holy Spirit. First of all, at salvation, we received the Holy Spirit within us when we were born again. We, all Christians, have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Praise God. But there's a second experience called the baptism in the Spirit, which is an empowerment to witness, a power to, to minister. And we saw this pattern. Uh, it's everywhere in Scripture. For example, the promise of the Spirit is called the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham, God says, I will bless you and make you a blessing. So first of all, there is the provision of the Spirit, I will bless you for our own life and our own walk with God, but also I will make you a blessing means there's an anointing of the Spirit, a power of the Spirit to be a blessing to others, to share the gospel with others and, and to minister to others. And uh, we saw that in Jesus' own life and ministry because Jesus was born of the Spirit, he had the Holy Spirit indwelling him, he lived a perfect life, but he didn't have the Spirit of God upon him until he was baptized at the age of 30, and that's when his ministry began. That's when his supernatural ministry began of preaching the gospel and healing the sick. And so there, he had two experiences of the Spirit, the Spirit within him and then the Spirit upon him at his baptism, and we saw that. And, and next we see the pattern with the apostles, with the first disciples, because we're going to see that on the morning of his resurrection, on the, sorry, on the evening of the day of his resurrection, he appeared to the apostles in the upper room. And in John 20, 22, we're told that he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And that was a command. He was telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. And he was imparting the Spirit to them. And, uh, and that's an interesting thing because that has to be that when they were became new creations. It's a picture, you see, of when Adam was created, the Lord God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam came alive. And this is a picture of the new creation in the same way Jesus breathes into us his breath of life. Receive the Holy Spirit, and we are born again, and we receive the Holy Spirit inside us. So they received the indwelling Spirit right there on the day of the resurrection, but it was 50 days later and, and then he, 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 it was obvious that their experience of the Spirit was not complete yet because he says, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the fullness of the promise of the Father because the power of God is going to come upon you. You're going to receive the Spirit upon you and he will empower you for your ministry. And, and so it's clear that there were two stages in the, for the apostles. They received the Spirit within on the day of the resurrection, but then they received the Spirit upon them at the time of the Pentecost, and that's when they were launched in their ministry, and, and that's when people started getting saved through their ministry. And so we see that pattern. But this brings up an issue, which to answer this issue, we're going to have to go a lot deeper. Because we know from other scriptures that it says that Jesus only could pour out the Holy Spirit after he had been exalted to the Father, and he received the promise of the Spirit from the Father, 
and which he then pours out upon us. So this tells us that the outpouring of the Spirit, the giving of the Spirit, and therefore within and upon, could only happen after his ascension. And therefore, how can it be that he imparted the Spirit to them on the day of his resurrection, 40 days before his ascension? And so that's why some people say, well, this is just a symbolic thing that he was doing. This wasn't a real impartation of the Spirit because they couldn't be born again until after the ascension. And this brings up a very interesting subject that is not generally understood, that in fact there was two ascensions and there was the first ascension and actually the most important ascension took place on the morning of the resurrection. And I want to show that to you because what happened there is so important. And something had to be done on the day of the resurrection. Uh, and we're going to see how this solves the issue because actually Jesus did ascend on the morning of the resurrection. He received all authority from God and he received the promise of the Holy Spirit from God. And that's why he could breathe and give the Holy Spirit to his disciples even later that day. And then for other reasons, he held back the rest of the promise of the Spirit, the Spirit upon, until the day of Pentecost, uh, seven weeks later. Well, we're going to look at this fact that, and this, please, if you've never heard this before, don't switch off because this will really bless you. On the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, on the third hour on their reckoning, between eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning, uh, Jesus ascended on high. And then, after he did what he needed to do, he returned to earth, and then he continued there for 40 days, appearing to uh, his apostles. And then, after 40 days, he ascended again, but this time permanently, and he sat down at the right hand of God. There were four purposes, at least, for this first ascension on the morning of the resurrection. Number one, by his resurrection, Jesus had to fulfill the Feast of Firstfruits, and we'll be majoring on that one today. And next time we'll also be looking at this fact too, that he had to present his blood in the heavenly Holy of Holies, and he had to receive all authority in heaven and earth, and he had to receive the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And he did all of that in the morning of his resurrection. Now, he announced this ascension to the first witness of his resurrection, which was Mary Madeline. In fact, she is the only living person who saw him before this initial ascension. When Jesus appeared to Mary at the empty tomb, he said to her, Mary, and she turned to him and said, Rabboni, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me or do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now that seems a strange thing to say. But then he clarifies it and says, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And notice he says here that he is ascending in the present tense. He's in the act of doing it. He's about to do it. He's ascending right now. He didn't say, I'm going to ascend in 40 days. And also, it would just make no sense to use his ascension 40 days later as a reason why Mary could not touch and embrace him. That would be a kind of 
strange thing to say. Uh, especially when, about an hour later, he allowed other women to do exactly what he told Mary not to do. It says in Matthew 28, As these women went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him, grasped him by the feet, and worshipped him. So they did exactly what Jesus didn't allow Mary to do. What, something has happened in that hour that changed, changed the reality. Everything makes sense when we understand what he did between his encounter with Mary and these other women. I think this is the reason why he met with her when he did, because he wanted us to know about this ascension. He was on the point of going up to his father. And one, one thing that he was going to do was to offer himself as the first fruits offering to God on behalf of redeemed humanity. This offering had to be made during the third hour of the first Sunday after Passover. That is, between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the morning. And so he couldn't delay his ascension for Mary's sake. Moreover, he had to present his blood in the heavenly Holy of Holies. And so it was not appropriate for anyone to touch him before he had presented himself before God to make these offerings. However, after he returned at uh, nine o'clock, say, after having made this offering, he allowed the women to touch him. And later that evening, he invited the apostles to touch him as well. He said, behold, my hands and my feet, it, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And a week later, he gave the same invitation to Thomas. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. And so he's very happy for people to touch him, but he didn't want Mary to do that. Why? Because he had to offer himself to God. He had to ascend to heaven as an offering to God. And so it was inappropriate for Mary to touch him at that point. And again, he gave the reason why. He was ascending to his father to offer himself and his blood as uh, to the father. And so it makes perfect sense of that encounter with Mary. In summary, the reason that Jesus gave Mary for not allowing her to touch him was that he was ascending to the Father. Then later that morning he allowed others to touch him. It follows he must have ascended to the Father with a purpose that required him to avoid human contact until he had fulfilled that purpose. And that purpose must have been, or must have included, to the fulfilment of the offering of firstfruits that was mandated for that very hour. You see, by... Jesus' resurrection, he fulfilled the Feast of Firstfruits. And when you look into what the Feast of Firstfruits required, you'll see that Jesus had to ascend to the Father in order to fulfill the Feast of Firstfruits. The Feast of Firstfruits actually always happens on the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, the Sunday of Passover week. So Jesus died on the Friday as the Passover lamb and rose on Sunday which is the very day that the first fruits were offered up to God and Jesus fulfilled the feast of first fruits. In his first coming, you see, Jesus fulfilled the feasts of the first month right on time. Passover, he died on the cross just when the Passover lambs were being killed in the temple. And 1 Corinthians says that Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. He fulfilled Passover. And so we'd expect him to fulfill first fruits too. 
On Sunday morning, the first day of the week, he fulfilled the Feast of Firstfruits by his resurrection and his ascension. And this is 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. And so he compares the resurrection of Christ to the ceremony of presenting the firstfruits of the harvest to God. Now we see this in the law in Leviticus 23. It says, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you will bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave or present the, the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. In other words, the Sunday of Passover week. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And so the first fruits were actually a sheaf of barley. That was the first crop to come to harvest. And this sheaf of barley had been cut down and then it was lifted up and waved before the presence of the Lord in the temple. And then through God's acceptance and blessing of the first fruits, so the first fruits were offered, they were waved before God as, as representing the whole harvest that was going to come. And when they were accepted and blessed by God, the blessing came on the whole harvest, guaranteeing the full harvest would come in. And so the whole harvest is blessed and guaranteed to come forth just like the first fruits. This is a picture of Christ, who had been killed but is now risen from the dead as our representative head of the new creation. And because of his perfect righteousness, you see, Christ was accepted by God on our behalf, which means if we're in Christ, we're accepted by God, praise God. And we're accepted as righteous and under his blessing, and our future harvest resurrection is guaranteed, all because we're in Christ. We're in Christ who represents us before God in the new covenant. And so through our identification with Christ, the first fruits. We are accepted as righteous with his righteousness. We are guaranteed to have the same glorious resurrection that he had. And so the waving of the first fruits before God was an act of worship and triumph, giving assurance that the rest of the harvest would be safely gathered in. And in the same way, the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee of our future resurrection in due time. The sheaf of the first fruits was waved before God on the day after the Sabbath, the Sunday, and that's exactly when Christ was raised up. And when the barley sheaf of first fruits was waved before the Lord in the temple, that was the guarantee of the complete harvest. At the very time it was being waved in the temple, Christ, our first fruits, who had risen from the dead, was being presented before the Lord in the heavenly temple as a guarantee of the complete harvest of the redeemed. That's us. The first fruits, you see, was the first complete fruit to rise up out of the seed that had been buried earlier in the earth. And Jesus compared his death and burial to a grain of wheat being buried in the earth. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Although only one seed is planted, the stalk that grows from it 
contains a whole cluster of grains. And in the same way, multitudes of new creations, that's us, will come forth from Christ's death and resurrection. And this multiplication of seed is also signified in the offering of the first fruits, because it's a whole sheaf containing many seeds that is waved before the Lord, not just one seed. And this was fulfilled at the time of the resurrection, because although Jesus was buried alone, he did not rise alone, but many others rose at the same time as him. For what purpose? They were part of this first fruits offering. It wasn't just Christ the seed being offered up, but the whole sheaf was offered up before God as the first fruits. This is recorded in Matthew 27. It says, first of all, describes the crucifixion. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. And so this earthquake at the resurrection actually opened the graves. And then it jumps forward to the time of the resurrection and says, And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, logic dictates that this was a special group. Not all the Old Testament saints were resurrected, but this was a special group that were resurrected to be for the purpose of being part of their first fruits offering to God. It says many of the saints, not all of them. So it wasn't all the Old Testament saints because the prophecies, the prophets tell us that actually most of the, all the resurrection of the Old Testament saints happens at the second coming of Christ. And, and David, for example, we know he's still in his grave because on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter said as much. He said, men and brethren, let me tell you about David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So David wasn't part of this group. I believe these were people who died and were buried in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus and his ministry. And these are people obviously who believed in him. They received an early resurrection with Jesus ahead of other believers because they were part of this special group of the first fruits. And that's why they could briefly, it says, they appeared to many. They briefly appeared to their friends and family who knew them as a witness to them. After that, they joined Jesus when he ascended at eight o'clock in the morning on the resurrection morning to be presented before God as part of the first fruit sheaf that contains many resurrected seeds. And so they comprised the sheaf of first fruits brought together with Christ from the dead and raved, waved in triumph before God as a demonstration of Christ's victory over sin, Satan and death. Hallelujah. And it was also an assurance that Christ's death and resurrection is well able to save us completely, spirit, soul and body, giving the assurance that all believers who have died will ultimately receive a great resurrection. So these ones, by the way, were not like Lazarus who were just resuscitated. There's no record of them living on and abiding on the earth after this. We're just told that they briefly appeared to some people that they knew. So they're probably people who had died in the last few years in around Jerusalem. And so just like Jesus appeared to some people, uh, these ones also appeared at the same time before they then joined Jesus in that ascension 
on the Sunday morning. Their resurrection is an important part of the first fruits, because if Christ alone was raised, we might put that down simply to his personal victory over death as the perfect Son of God, rather than the guarantee that by his death and resurrection he has secured a glorious resurrection for sinners such as ourselves. But since God actually also raised a large number of these sinful men along with Christ, that demonstrates that Christ has actually done what it takes to defeat the power of sin and death over us, sinners. Uh, so that like this select company of fr first fruits, we will also share in his resurrection and receive an eternal resurrection body. And so Christ ascended to present himself and the sheaf of first fruits to God. And at the same time, he also took the spirits of the Old Testament saints, the spirits of just men made perfect, he took them to heaven at this time. I'll just throw this in as an addition that the, what Jesus presented to God was the, those resurrected ones, but the rest of the Old Testament saints were also taken to heaven at this time. You see, before the cross, when believers died, they went down to a place called Hades, a spiritual realm under the earth, also called Abraham's bosom, Abraham being the father of all believers, whereas unbelievers went to a place in Hades called torments, a place of punishment. We, we see that in Luke 16. It says that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, who was an unbeliever and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And so they were, it wasn't that one was in heaven and the other was in Hades. They were in, they could see each other. They were in touch with each other. And so they were both in Hades, but in two different compartments. The believer's compartment's also called paradise. Remember Jesus said to the believing thief that he would see him in paradise. Um, you see, the, belie the believers could not go to heaven yet because they weren't born again. They weren't uh, saved. Oh, sorry, they, they were righteous through faith, legally righteous, but they were not born again. They were still spiritually dead. So their spirits were not perfect. They could not go to heaven when they died. The new birth was only available through the resurrection of Christ. So before the resurrection, it's not available. 1 Peter says, God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So before the resurrection, the new birth was not available because we're born again through Christ's resurrection life being applied to our spirits. Their spirits were not born again, they were not made perfect, and so they couldn't enter the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said, you have to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. So they couldn't go to heaven. And, and Jesus said as much in John 3, he said, no one has ascended to heaven except he who came down from heaven. So no man had, had gone to heaven before the cross. What happened then was that when Jesus rose from the dead, he preached the gospel to all the spirits that were in Hades, all, all the believers, and they received Christ as Lord. They received the new covenant, and he was then, he then, they were then born again. 
and then they could go up to heaven with Jesus when he ascended. It says that for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, and so they had to die and go to Hades, but they live according to God in the Spirit. And so when he preached the gospel to them, the good news of their salvation, they lived according to the Spirit, according to God in the Spirit. They were born again. And then it says that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And so when Christ ascended on high in this initial ascension, all those who were captive in Hades, he led captivity captive in a triumphal procession. He took them up to heaven. And now when Paul uh, died, when he was stoned to death, he says I w he was caught up to the third heaven and he was caught up to paradise. So now paradise isn't under the earth anymore. Paradise is in heaven. And it's interesting what it says in Hebrews. It tells us that the, the great believers, the Old Testament saints, looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They desire a better, a heavenly country, so God is not ashamed to be called their God. And it says they, they believed in the promise of heaven, but it then says that they did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that's new covenant believers, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So in other words, they had the promise, they believed it, the promise of heaven, but they didn't receive it when they died and because it had to wait for the new covenant, that better thing was through the better covenant. When we're born again, we go to heaven when we die. So they couldn't be made perfect apart from us. That is, they couldn't be made perfect until the new covenant came into action. And when it came into action, praise God, along with us now, they could go to heaven. Their spirits were made perfect through the new birth, and then Jesus could take them up to heaven. And so in the next chapter, Hebrews 12, it says, We have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And then it describes who's there. And one of the group that are there, as well as the church of the firstborn, it says the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, they were just, they were righteous through their faith, but now they've been made perfect. These are the Old Testament saints. Their spirits were made perfect through the new birth, and now they are in heaven, in the new Jerusalem. Praise God. Of all the CD series I've done, I think one of my favorites has to be Blood Covenant. Because if you understand the Blood Covenant, which is a deep concept in the Bible, so much of the Bible will start making sense to you. And it will help you understand the covenant you have in Christ. So I've done this series of eight CDs, which will really open your eyes to what's behind many of the spiritual realities that in our modern civilized world, we have got no clue about. And also I've written a book called Growing Up Spiritually, which is really a great book if, for, for a young believer especially, but for all kinds of believers, to give you the key principles of how you can grow from being a baby to being a mature believer. Growing Up Spiritually. Let's do it. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. 
You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.